Welcome, future doctors, to another episode of the Future Minority Doctor Podcast with Dr. Sulma and Marina, where we bring you conversations to empower and inspire you to contribute to your community and the world by becoming a doctor. Welcome back, future doctor. So glad you are joining me today. I'd like for you to get to know my story a little better with the hopes that it will motivate you more to become a doctor. And hopefully one day you'll be sharing your story with future doctors as well. So um, as a start, I was born in Jalisco, Mexico. I am one of four siblings. I'm a middle child. My parents, both of them were raised in Mexico. My father completed school up to third grade and my mom to fifth grade. In other words, they couldn't help me with schoolwork while I was growing up. My dad, he helped build some of the railroad tracks and bridges that we have today here in the United States and worked on some of the farming fields in California. My mom, she mostly worked in flower fields in Southern California and then eventually transitioned to work in a factory as a factory worker for the rest of her working life. So as you can imagine, finances were very limited. Most of my early years, we lived in transitional living um, where we rented rooms from other families, and that's where my family of five would live. I always felt like we were bothering other families and really longed to have a place of our own. My parents were eventually able to afford a two-bedroom apartment for a family of five, and I recall that there was a big hallway closet, and my mom actually squeezed in a full-size bed in there and called that uh, my sister in my bedroom. My story starts in elementary school. I was the only one in my family born in Mexico, and it took several years for my legal status to get into order. I was always scared as a young child that I would be whisked away from my family. I feared law enforcement, so at a very young age, there was a big sense of fear instilled in me and a sense of insecurity as well and not being accepted. Then at home, aside from my family struggling with finances, Uh, We were also struggling with living in a home with an alcoholic. My dad struggled with alcoholism. When uh, my father would arrive home, I just never knew who would show up at the door. Sometimes he would come in and be the nicest man ever, but more often than not, he was intoxicated and was pretty verbally abusive and mean. I was so scared of him growing up, and I didn't like being around him. I did tell my mom at one point when I was in elementary school if she could leave. I even looked up shelters. Um, But of course, my mom turned me down because she said family should always stick together no matter what. So I think probably around this time is where perhaps there was um, a lot of internal anger starting to brew inside of me. Well, my escape from all these problems at home really was school and my extended family on my mom's side. Well, this huge, huge family would get together every single weekend and we would all hang out. So my aunts and uncles became like second parents to me and my cousins became like extended siblings to me. In kindergarten, I didn't know the English language when I started. Um, I remember being really scared and not understanding. And interestingly enough, there was a little girl who came and started non-verbally communicating with me using hand signals. And um, I had no idea, but apparently her parents were deaf. So given I wasn't speaking, I think she assumed I was deaf. You know, when I look back, it's pretty amazing that that was my introduction to the power of non-verbal communication and connecting with people. And I still use it today as a doctor. 
While I was in elementary school, I also was faced with other things as well that I'd like to share with you. So as I mentioned before, I didn't know how to speak the, the English language. So I was in ESL classes, which are English as a second language. Um, I'd get pulled out about an hour a day and they'd work with me on uh, learning the language. I struggled a lot with reading comprehension skills, but I managed. But throughout elementary school, I was actually exposed to a lot of things that I think now have been major contributors, especially why I became a pediatrician. I was about in third grade, and I had a very close friend who lived across the street from me. And I remember that I would go to her apartment to ask if she can come outside and play, and her dad would tell me, oh, just wait on the porch. While I'm sitting there waiting for her to come out, I can hear her screaming, yelling, and crying. But I figured that perhaps she had just gotten in trouble and was getting her butt whooped. Um, that that was normal in my neighborhood. You, if you didn't listen to your parents, you got hit. That wasn't a biggie for me. And then when she would come out, you know, she'd be wiping her tears, but we'd go on our merry way to go and play. Well, one morning at school, again, I'm in third grade, um, before class started, she came, she came up to me and she asked me to go to the bathroom. And so I went with her and then a bit confused, she tells me to go inside the big bathroom stall. So I did. And then she pulls up the back of her shirt and it was the biggest cut or wound I had ever seen. Well, she told me that her father had done that to her that morning. I didn't know what to think, so I helped her clean up and we went to class. Well, something in, the, in my seven-year-old little brain, just something wasn't right. So I ended up going to the office of our elementary school. And I just remember talking to a bunch of adults. And um, that was the last day I saw her. I hope she's having a good life. Another thing that I had a hard time, too, growing up in, in elementary school is that I was made fun of a lot about my clothes because they were mainly hand-me-downs. While I would get so excited when my mom would come home with a big black garbage full of used clothes that her coworker would give her when her girls grew out of it, I was made fun of that while I was in school. And I remember a kid once telling me that he noticed I never had new clothes on, but I would give him my smirky attitude that I had, you know, because I, I grew a tough skin. I would fight sometimes too, if I had to, to defend myself. Hated it. I didn't like it. I didn't like how it felt, but I felt it was a survival skill then. Then came middle school, and this was the time of exposure to everything. This is when I started seeing other kids use drugs, ditch school to go to house parties, or even see their boyfriends and girlfriends. I will add, some of them were seeing adult-aged boyfriends and girlfriends. This was also a period of the time when my peers were also showing an interest in gangs, or actually went off to join in gangs, too. But my close-knit group of friends in middle school, we for the most part tended not to get too involved in all those things around that were going on in school. We just kind of tried to be friends with everyone. I was aware of the choices I had to make for the most of the part. I continued to do good in school. As I said before, it was my escape because all the problems at home, those were still going on. And then um, in middle school was where I found out what sexual abuse was. I had a friend and a family member disclose what was going on with them for a couple of years throughout that period of my life. And I just couldn't believe it. I didn't know there was such mean people out there. I, I felt angry for them. And then one day while we were at school, my friend actually was telling us that she wanted to commit suicide and she had a plan. So a friend, another friend and I, we got scared. And of course we got some help. 
Fortunately, we were able to help by telling some of the school staff about what was going on, and she was removed from the ongoing abuse, and my family member also got the help. Unfortunately, I did lose both of them to drug addiction temporarily. Um, It was very painful to see them decline, but I understood their hurt, and I really cared about them. Uh, Luckily, both of them ended up coming around years later, thankfully, and I didn't lose them indefinitely. Uh, So as you can imagine, um, by the time I was 12 or 13 years old, my perception of the world was a bit confusing. I had already been exposed to so much trauma of others around me, but yet I was still even going through my own with dealing with alcoholism at home. Then came high school. And I think this was my breaking point with what I now know is depression. I think all of those years of living in an alcoholic home and just seeing everything around me, it just piled up. I struggled a lot inside. I cried a lot. Um, No one ever saw it, not even my parents. And I still maintained the good grades at school and positive attitude at school. No one would have ever known. I had friends who would tell me that they wished they had my life because I didn't share what was going on in my life. I always put my A-game face on. How did I get through this? Again, I focused on school. I just felt like getting good grades made me feel good. That was where I felt any type of positivity. But what's crazy is my parents never even looked at my report card once. I remember I was in middle school and I showed my mom and my dad that I had gotten straight A's. And their response was like, oh, that's good. It went on like nothing. My dad would often say that having respect for your parents and adults was far more important than anything that could be taught in school. So he basically did not care what kind of grades I got as long as I showed respect in the home and obeyed my parents. I do, though, have to admit that it's not that my parents did not love me because of not recognizing my academics. It's just that it wasn't a priority for them back then. My mom has always been so unconditionally loving. She also taught me a lot about compassion and the power of forgiveness, the meaning of family. We had great communication. I felt like I could talk to her about a lot of things. And I've always felt like she was my friend. My father was difficult to get to know because he was always intoxicated. Um, He was a completely different person when he wasn't intoxicated, but his substance abuse disorder really overpowered most of my early years, which damaged our relationship early on. But what I came to understand was that my parents just came from a traditional mindset. School wasn't important for their upbringing. Working and bringing money home was because it was a necessity for survival. So as I mentioned before in high school, I was already struggling with depression and I had no idea what my ultimate goal was going to be. I think at that point I knew I wanted to go to college because my older brother told me so. But I didn't even know the difference between what a community college was, a university was. That was all foreign language to me. I had an, an English teacher in ninth grade that after two or so weeks, she pulled me aside and she said, you know, I think you're supposed to be in an honors track. I was like, honors? What's honors? I had no idea what honors was. So she explained it to me. Uh, she just said, just go to the counselor and tell him that I said that I, I recommend you to get on the honors track. So I did as I was told. I walked into the office and told my counselor, who was Latino himself, and his immediate response was, are you sure your teacher said honors classes? You know, those classes are hard. So then I got scared. And then I started questioning myself. I really didn't know at that point, should I do this or should I not? But I really liked my English teacher. And I said, you know, I have to just trust what she said. 
And then as I was walking out, he said, you know, Sulma, if this just gets too hard for you, just come back next week and we'll change you right back. And just so you know, I never went back. Well, then 10th grade, I had something of a similar situation again. So I was recommended to take a chemistry class. I didn't know what chemistry was at all, but I went. I think I was the only Latina in there. The first day of, of class, the teacher was outside the classroom and he would greet every student as they would walk in. And when it was my turn to go in, he stopped me and he said, are you sure you're supposed to be in this class? He goes, let me see your schedule. And so I did. I was confused. And when, when he verified it was my class schedule, I kind of rolled his eyes and he let me in. And, you know, I walked in there already. I can see that I looked different and I was really, really nervous because I was indirectly being told already that this is going to be too hard for a person like me. Anyhow, I pushed forward. I actually ended up being within the top two students in the class. Hopefully this was a learning lesson for that teacher to not judge a book by its cover. I don't want you to think that it all came easy to me either. I worked hard. I studied a lot. I had to read things two to three times as much just because, again, my reading comprehension was, I struggled with it. I also struggled with writing and reading as well. It just, it just took me longer to, to complete certain assignments than my peers. And writing essays with appropriate grammar was so difficult for me. I had lots of ideas and creativity, but it just never came right out on paper. And to be honest, until today, it doesn't come out right on paper. Well, I continued my life in high school, maintaining a lot of different type of friends. I had friends from honors AP classes, as well as those that were on the opposite end of the academic spectrum, barely making it to graduate. I had friends who had never touched any drug and lived a rather sheltered life, as well as those friends that were struggling with addiction with meth and heroin. I would hang around different crowds a lot, so I'd be exposed to a lot. And even sometimes I was criticized by my Latino peers because I wouldn't strictly hang around them or because I was a good student that got good grades. And I'd be called stuff like sellout. But I didn't pay any attention to them, though. I knew who my friends were, and I kept a close knit of, of friends that were Samoan, African-American, white, Mexican, Vietnamese, who were really diverse. And then some of my teenage friends and my cousins started becoming teenage parents. They were getting pregnant. As a matter of fact, all my cousins that were plus minus one year older or younger than me, they actually all were pregnant or becoming moms by around the age of 15. I ended up kind of being like the black sheep of the family because I wasn't a teen mom. And when I was in high school, too, I remember this teacher that would often like question my choice of friends. He would ask me why I chose to hang around some of the worst kids in school. But, you know, I always tell them, oh, they're good kids. They just sometimes make bad decisions, but I'm going to make my own decisions. But I think it's important, even though you you have a heart to have all types of friends, keep the ones closest to you that you know are going to make you be more successful. And that's exactly what I did. Because if there was one thing I knew even in high school is that I was so scared of addiction and of living paycheck to paycheck. And the reason was because... I already had a couple of family members that were struggling with drug and alcohol addiction. And I was so scared to try anything because I was scared I would like it. I figured, hey, if they're all struggling with it, it's probably in my DNA. I might like it too. So that was a big fear of mine. I also knew that I wanted to, I didn't want to stress out of being able to pay the rent or the bills. My parents didn't speak English, so I was their interpreter, and I call myself their secretary, basically since I was in elementary school. 
until I left to college. I used to pay the rent for them. I was writing checks when I was in elementary school for them. So I was always involved in the monthly stresses of their economic situation. And I figured that the only way to not have to go through this is I had to do something different. Well, an eye-opener occurred when I was in 11th grade. There was this high school teacher that recommended me to be part of a small mentorship program for Latinas. And in this group, they kind of guided me and educated me about the college application process and the SATs. At one of our meetings, she invited a guest speaker and in walks this Latina woman and she's introduced as Dr. So-and-so. I was so shocked. It turned out she was a psychologist and I would just listen to her talk. And then at that moment, I thought, ah, maybe I should be a psychologist to help people. Around this time, I had previously also thought about being a doctor. After I met her, I said, oh, maybe I could be a psychologist instead like her. I wanted to be like her. And she looked so well put together. She had this nice, fancy clothes. I mean, I was literally in sweats every day in high school. But she looked so nice. And I thought, oh, maybe if I'm a psychologist, I can be like her. I had never actually met, you know, a psychologist or even a minority physician in the U.S., But to be honest, I really never saw doctors or dentists, period, because I was uninsured. And if I got sick, my parents just drove me to Tijuana. Although here, I did go to the ER a couple times. That's to say I had a very adventurous spirit and I fell a lot and broke bones and got injured and stitches and so forth. But regardless, when I would go to those ER visits, there was no minorities. And even women, there was not. There were always male white physicians. Well, I ended up graduating high school and I got accepted to UC Riverside. So you would think that my parents were so proud of me and happy that I got accepted to college. I was going to be the first one in the family to go to college. Well, that was a bit different for me. My father became upset that I was moving out as a young unmarried girl. My dad's thought was that as a girl, you only left the house if you were married. He literally didn't speak to me the week before I moved out. And even the day I moved out either, I got the total silent treatment. The only solace was that by that time, he actually stopped drinking, so he was on his road to recovery, and that was going to be better for my mom and my sister, who were going to stay home. My mom, on the other hand, she was mourning that I was moving out. She cried so much. She was worried about who was going to run the administrative things in the house, how she going to use the ATM, who's going to take care of her banking issues, all those things. So I I actually felt a big sense of guilt, like I was abandoning my mom, but I had to focus that in the long run, I would be able to take better care of her later if I had an education and a better career. I reassured her that she was going to be okay. I was only moving an hour away. And then my mom and my uncle are actually the ones who dropped me off at my dorm and gave me the official send off. Going to college was so exciting, but also so stressful. Half the time, I did not know what I was doing. I didn't know anyone. I think I had one friend from high school go to college, but she ended up staying local. So, I mean, I felt like I was starting from scratch all over again. I nearly dropped out, actually, after my first quarter because it went bad. I then started rethinking everything about college. Then I thought I wasn't smart enough. I didn't belong here. Luckily, I had made some friends who were also first-generation college students, and they were just as exhausted as I was, so we kind of helped push each other together. I got involved in the Chicano office on my university campus, which is when I started feeling more at home and more a sense of belonging. And then I found out uh, the university had a traditional Mexican folkloric dance group, so I started performing for UC Riverside's Ballet Folklorico. 
And this was very helpful. I really encourage you to find those student offices on your college campuses who will offer that support and really make you feel like you belong there. The advisors there, they they really help guide and they helped guide me to learn how to study. My study techniques were so different in high school than they are in college. So I had to learn different ways of approaching college and how to survive college. Uh, When I started college, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I applied as undecided. But, you know, I did always have this little voice inside of me that wanted to be a doctor. But when I got to college, I had heard how competitive it was and that everybody that starts college wants to be a doctor. So they made it super duper hard. And that made me nervous. So I figured if I avoid the difficult situation, it's so much easier than confronting it. Right. So that's exactly what I did. So after not such a good first quarter, I decided to drop my desire of being a doctor and I explored other options. I took my first psychology course and realized I loved, absolutely loved the study of brain and behavior. And then I remembered that speaker in high school and I said, aha, this is what I need to be. I need to be a psychologist. And and I went in and I declared this as my major. Then in my second and third year of college, I still had some internal tugging like something that just tugged inside of me that still there was like you want to be a doctor you want to be a doctor around that time that again this is like second or third year of college I decided to give myself a challenge and take a chemistry course my friends thought I was crazy because I didn't even need the class I had all my requirements fulfilled till then and they said you're just gonna take this for fun and basically for me it was like not for fun but this was my own personal challenge maybe if I did well here maybe I can make it Well, I went into class and I walked in and I was like, wow, talk about lack of diversity in the sciences. There was this huge auditorium with like more than 100 students. And literally there was maybe about like five minorities there. (laughs) Well, anyhow, I walked in and I already had palpitations walking into the lecture hall. I felt different. So I did become self-conscious about that. Then to make matters worse, no one really wanted to be in a chemistry lab. When we were all left to split up into groups, people either already knew each other or they formed groups of people who looked like them. And I don't think I looked like the typical science kid. Eventually, I ended up tagging along in a group because I had to. But I was always left out of the discussion. I got to a point where I kind of just, even though I was part of the group, I just did my own thing because it was really hurting my self-esteem. And then came our first midterm, a midterm for you guys in high school. That's like one of the big exams that you get while you're in college. And, you know, I tried my very best. I studied a lot. And then we got our test results after like about the week after that we took that test. And and they were posted outside where our labs were held. And there's a big group of people, you know, standing around looking for their grades that are posted up. And you get confidential student numbers. So, you know, I kind of waited till the big group, you know, dwindled down and then I went. My heart was beating so fast. I think I might have been shaking. So I started looking at the bottom where the lowest grades are, of course, because I thought that's where I was going to be. And then I started scrolling up and up and I was like, oh my gosh, did they forget about me? (laughs) And then I couldn't believe it. I was the second highest grade in the class. I could not believe it. Well, that helped me feel a little bit better going into the lab group. So again, I go and sit down and you hear my group members are bragging to each other about their grades. And then one of the guys asks me, oh, what did you get? So, you know, and it felt like they were just trying to make me feel bad. But anyhow, I said, oh, I did good. I was above average. 
And then I debated, should I tell him or not? But instead, I just let him know I did real good. And and I was around the top of the class. <laughs> well, after that day, it was funny because I, I noticed the big turnaround. They started including me. And asked, it was just like now they thought I was worthiness material. But then this happened after that. My chemistry professor, I noticed, started assigning a seat to me to sit right in front of the class during exams. Till today, I'm not sure if this is just procedure or if she thought I was cheating. But what I do know is when I scored well in other classes, I was not assigned to sit in front of the row. I mean, literally under the professor's nose. So chemistry finishes, I do well. So you would have thought, definitely, I should consider going to medicine. Well, nope. I still chickened out. And then the negative thoughts that I'm not capable enough still, still dominated my brain. I still thought I'm going to be a psychologist. So the following year, I studied abroad and I left for Spain. I decided I would add a second major and study Spanish literature. And this was one of the best things I could have done is to study abroad and expose myself to a different country. This was actually the farthest I had ever been away from home. And I mean, the only travel my family did was to Mexico to visit family. But it was strongly recommended to everyone. Go anywhere, but just go somewhere and study abroad. Anyhow, I returned from Spain with new perspectives and ideas. And then I crossed paths with one of our deans of of my school. And she recommended me to do a program. It was an internship program. And I got accepted. I applied to the program, which landed me an internship at the National Institutes of Health, or NIH, for a semester. And while I was there, I worked for the Latino Cardiovascular Health Care Program. My boss was a nurse uh, native to Honduras, and we became very close. You know, one day after she got to know me, she said, you know, why don't you consider going to medical school? And of course, I said, no, there's no way I can do that. And I told her, no, I, there's no way. I, I, I'm not as smart as all of those doctors. And Well, it turned out that her husband was actually a pediatrician, and she arranged for me to have a one-on-one to meet him at our home. So her husband had a long conversation with me one evening when they invited me to dinner and told me about the need of minorities in medicine. And really said, you got to give it a shot. So after my DC internship at NIH, I decided fearfully that my next step would be to go ahead and try at least once or twice to pursue medical school. I graduated college, first one in my entire family of over like 100 members, Um, with a double major in psychology and Spanish literature. This was a big deal for my entire family. Many of my aunts and my uncles and their families, they all went to my graduation. So this was big. And um, after I graduated, since I had decided that I would try to at least apply to medical school, uh, what I did is I decided to go to a local community college just to finish completing my pre-med courses so that way I can apply. I worked at a community health center managing a childhood obesity program and went to school at the same time. Uh, This was really hard. Uh, There was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears on many occasions. And when I finally completed pre-med, I started applying. You'll probably hear about people applying to like 30 or more medical schools just to increase their chance of getting in. Well, since I was financing the entire process on very limited income, I applied to a few places where I had friends who lived there in the in those cities. So I figured I can save money on hotel expenses in case I got invited to interview at the medical schools. Plus, I didn't really think I was going to get any interviews, especially because I sucked at taking standardized tests. And I mean, like, really sucked. 
I took the MCAT and literally I walked out and cried. <laughs> and sure enough, when I got my score back, it wasn't very good. I remember that when I saw my MCAT scored, I figured, forget it, I'm not applying. But I had a friend who was in medical school already. I reached out to her. She just said, you know, yeah, it's not the average of what you see on the internet, but just just give it a shot. I mean, just try it. What if? To make a long story short, I did. And then fortunately, I actually ended up getting several interviews. But unfortunately, I was waitlisted. What does waitlisted to a medical school mean? It means we like you, but let's see if there's anyone better. Or if we get rejected by a student, maybe in the space opens up, maybe it's yours. It's a way of being in limbo. <laughs> but anyhow, towards the end of the application season, I ended up hearing back from a medical school about the special post program that they had. And if I'd be interested, I basically would have to take some upper division science courses for a year and pass with an A average with my lowest grade being a B plus. And they said if that happened, then I would get an automatic acceptance to the following year to their medical school. Sounded very hard, but I decided, you know what, let's do it. Today, I'm so glad that I did because there were four of us in that program and we became very close. Us four had a lot in common with our upbringing, so we really understood each other and really supported each other. I literally breathed, I dreamt, (laughs) inhaled school that entire year completing these upper division science courses and ensuring that I can pull off that A average. And I made it. And I couldn't believe I made it. Well, then medical school started the next year, and then the white coat ceremony. My family was so excited about me getting an acceptance that I had a bunch of friends and family show up at the white coat. And for those of you that don't know what the white coat ceremony is, it's a special ceremony that they welcome the new medical student class into the field of medicine. And then my family was so proud that day. They threw a big party afterwards, and aunts, uncles, friends, cousins all there. It was awesome. I remember reflecting there at that party and seeing my family around and I just thought to myself, I have to succeed. I have to make it because in me succeeding, my family succeeding well and I and I know this means the world to them. So medical school, as you've heard, is hard. I'm going to be honest. It tests your every weakness you have. It challenges everything. It can break you if you let it. And my fear of not being smart enough, my fear of being different, I mean, it did get challenged throughout this time. I remember doing a presentation while I was in medical school instead of feeling so self-conscious about my accent. I started thinking, oh dang, do I sound too hood in some of the words I say? Is my Latina accent coming out? I just felt like my classmates spoke so different than I did. And my body started shaking because I was so scared. All I thought to myself as I was presenting is, are they looking at me like, why is this person in my in my medical school? And of course, these are all my own personal thoughts, but this is what I thought those around me thought of me. When I finished, I literally panicked. I went home and I cried. I didn't want to go back to medical school. It was hard. That day was hard. And just to give you guys an idea of what my medical school class looked like, I think there was about like five minorities of us in a class more than 120 students. That's it. And as far as medical school professors or your medical or your medical doctor teachers, I mean, I can count them on one hand as well. It felt lonely as far as, you know, with peers and then also as far as with who was teaching you as well. And I was so thankful I had my friends from the post-bac group because they really helped 
that's pushed me forward. And then I also started talking to one of the associate deans of the medical school and two women who worked out of the medical school office, one being Puerto Rican and the other African-American. They had been around the medical school for a long time, so they understood how I felt. Um, They had many minority students in the past that had felt the same way I did. So they spoke a lot of words of wisdom, and, and really that's what kept me going. They constantly reminded me why minority physicians are needed. We also became very close with the associate dean of the medical school. She shared many of her own personal struggles with medical school with me and really gave me a space to open up. I was a frequent flyer there (laughs) as I navigated on how to make it. Looking back, mentorship is important. It's so important to talk to someone to get help. I'm very grateful for these women until today. So after my first year of medical school, I took the summer and spent a month off in Kenya I went to work at a rural medical hospital. It was absolutely amazing. Again, I brought a whole different perspective of the world. It showed me love of the world and how big and wonderful the world is and how much work there is to do in the world more than anything. This trip made me reflect a lot about life and what medical school meant. The world needed more people of color in medicine. I came back more motivated in that sense after that trip. Then in my second year of medical school, I experienced one of the worst things in my life. As I was finishing up a medical school activity, I received a call from one of my cousins, my uncle. This was my godfather. This was actually the man that I saw as my second dad. Like I knew if anything ever happened to my parents, this is a man that was going to step up and take care of me. Well, my cousin calls me and tells me he committed suicide. I sat in the car and I just cried. I couldn't even drive. I had parked the car. I knew my uncle had been dealing with depression for the last couple of years before he committed suicide, but I couldn't believe he was gone. I didn't know what to do. I started blaming myself if there could have been something I could have done more. I felt at that point I neglected my family while I was in medical school that I gave priority to medical school, and because of it, I had lost my uncle. These were my thoughts. Let's just say that for the remainder of that quarter, I was numb. I was very, very emotionally numb. I somehow ended up passing my classes, but I don't remember much of what I learned throughout that quarter. Again, I think I passed because I had already been trained to escape pain, by focusing on school, because that's what I had done my entire life. Except this time, I was really, really just numb. So for the next several months, I would burst out into tears as I studied. I remember I'd be studying my notes, and then they'd just get full of teardrops. I ended up getting help and getting some emotional guidance from my assistant, Jean, and she helped me a lot. And until today, I feel so blessed that she was there for me, that she was in my path. And with her guidance, I was able to get psychological help to help me finish medical school with such a big, big loss. So I did end up going to counseling throughout this time. And my energy then started shifting to making a difference in suicide awareness. So every student in medical school had to do a project. So I picked my medical school study project to focus on suicide prevention in the Latino community. This is where I poured my heart out to try to do something meaningful for my uncle so that he can always be remembered. My hope was to help prevent someone out there from this heartache. 
Then in my third year, we do clinical rotations when you're medical school, and I was discriminated against by an attending during a rotation. He was not nice to me at all. From the beginning, he was treating me different than the group of peers I was in, and literally I never did anything to him, and yet he just did not like me. He ended up giving me a bad evaluation for that rotation. It kind of reminded me of that feeling I got from that chemistry teacher in high school. When somebody's being racist, you feel it. Well, this was my only bad evaluation for medical school, so it really didn't correlate with my other evaluations. Thankfully, it was kind of just disregarded. As I did before, I just moved on and I didn't look back. Well, then medical school finished, yay, with lots of blood, sweat, and tears, but I made it. I graduated medical school with all my family and friends around me. One of absolutely the greatest days of my life. I felt like this graduation was meant for them. So as I walked on stage, I really reminisced of that little girl who once said I wanted to help kids, especially those of the community. I thought about all those friends growing up that had those hard times with abuse and thought, wow, I'm going to be in a position where I can actually help kids. And so there I was receiving a medical degree to go on to the next step of residency to become a pediatrician. And I was officially Dr. Galvan. Right after graduating, I moved to L.A. to go work at the L.A. County Hospital to do my pediatric residency. I have to say that when I arrived to this hospital, I really felt at home. I was happy. (laughs) The patients, man, these were my people. I was literally going to serve that community I grew up with back in the day in San Diego. I felt like I was talking to family. I saw my friends. I felt so connected to many of these families. But I'll keep it real. Residency was hard. I thought medical school had tested me. I was wrong. Residency strains you from the core. You're expected to learn everything about medicine hands-on while working 80 hours a week studying to pass early exams, and trying to maintain your personal life in order. Uh, This period is, is also very psychologically and physically draining. You live more at the hospital. You will see your co residents more than anyone at home. And this is also a period where depression can easily be triggered. I was fortunate enough, though, to have an awesome program director, Dr. Sainz, who was really good about checking in on us. The other cool thing about our program was that it had a lot of non-traditional attendings or doctor teachers. Uh, It was pretty diverse. So there were many foreign graduates, meaning that attendings had gone to medical school in different countries. And they brought a really special and different perspective of what medicine was. I also really felt like all my doctor teachers or attendings, they really cared about us residents and the patients. These are teaching doctors who have dedicated their life to serving the poor and underserved in this hospital. They were the most compassionate doctors. I think as rough as residency is, having such a diverse and awesome support system made a difference in the world during those three very difficult and draining years. And then the family of co-residents that I had too were absolutely amazing. We leaned on each other to make it through the really tough times. The bond that you create with your co-residents is big, and it's a key role in surviving residency. You see, when you're a resident, you're going to see people really sick and excruciating pain come in from terrible accidents, and you're going to be there when even they may die. 
you will experience being at their bedside holding hands and their parents are looking into your eyes for the chance to hope that their child's going to be okay. I cried with many parents when the outcomes weren't good. So residency is a roller coaster of emotions and the expectation, you know, when you're a doctor and a resident is that you continue functioning for the next patient that's headed your way. It's also personally hard. You'll miss out on weddings, big milestones of family, friends, holidays. I tell you this because this is the reality of what residency is. Well, in my last year of residency, I then started to get back to my personal life more. I got married. I became a mom. After I was done, I decided it was recovery time, and I took some time off before starting to practice again in order to reconnect with my family, friends, and really enjoy my son and my husband. So that's me in a nutshell. Here I am now today, right? After all this this huge long journey, I'm still very dedicated to the well-being of humanity. I continue to work at a community health center with patients of low socioeconomic backgrounds or uninsured status. I truly, truly love knowing that regardless of their ethnic background, income status, insurance status, legal status, social status, that I know when they come see me, I'm absolutely providing them with the best care. Well, my friend, my future doctor, I hope you feel you got to know me a little bit better. In future episodes, we'll talk more specifically on some of the topics on things you heard in my story. All right, guys, peace and love, and see you next time, future doctor.